Oh, hi! I will cast abominable filth at you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. With those awesome, <laughs> uplifting, Lin-Manuel Miranda-like words, we are on our way to discussing a film I really enjoy. Uh, this is Frame Rate. It's the show where we rate frames. And I'm yeah. Michael Swaim, and I'm not alone. Who's with me, as usual? I'm with him, and my name is <laughs> Abe Epperson, and I'm the co-host of Frame Rate. Thank you for wearing the shirt that says, with him, with the arrow pointing to the left. I really appreciate That's right. it. You got um, it. And yeah, to discuss uh, a film with a lot to unpack, we've got someone who's great at unpacking. Please introduce yourself, very special guest. It is Jason Pargin, and I have to begin with a disclaimer. Because I am, at <laughs> some point in this episode, I will be criticizing a film that is very similar to the genre I work in with my novels. Um, mm -hmm. And I will be saying some negative things about it. I love this movie, but but it would be a boring <clears throat> podcast. We just talked about how much we love it. So mm, because true. I am on this appearance as part of the publicity tour, because uh, as you know, I'm an extremely famous author mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. have a book out. out called <laughs> If This Book Exists, You're in the Wrong Universe. It is one of the sequels to John Dies at the End that is also a movie wow. if you just want to watch the movie. But it is in roughly the same genre. It is sci-fi horror about regular people taking on a threat they actually never fully understand. So when I criticize this movie, I am not saying that my work is better because <laughs> it would, you'd be very tempted to say, well, who are you? Who are you to criticize uh, Jordan Peele, who is a master and you're just some guy? That is mm -hmm. a professional correct. analyzer of pop culture, though. I think that's who you are to criticize. You know what I mean? Any art, any yeah. art you feel like. Uh, so, but yes, uh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was the caveat. Uh, yeah. Do you want to do the usual pre-plug? I mean, you are here on a publicity tour. I don't want to rob you of that. <laughs> sure. The book is available either right now or roughly right now. I don't know exactly when okay. this goes up. It's If you go order it, it you will get it very soon i'm certain or if you go if you go to a, a store it's got a lime green cover okay, very great. easy to spot in your local bookstore please <laughs> if you can't at all buy from a local bookstore if you have any left please mm -hmm. do if you can buy if you can't and you can buy from a brick and mortar chain like barnes and noble or just Barnes and Noble, I think. That's it. That's the one. <laughs> Please do, because I know one time we saw Barnes and Noble as like the monolith that was sucking up all of the little bookstores, and it's like mm -hmm. no, but actually at this point, it's Barnes and Noble is now the tiny underdog to mighty Amazon. Uh, the truth is, eighty percent of you statistically will buy online. That's fine. I buy a lot of stuff. I have a Kindle. Buy lots of books off Amazon, but um, brick and mortar bookstores, which were so meaningful to me are vanishing at a terrifying rate. The The pandemic has not helped them at all. A lot of people during right. the pandemic switched their habits to e-reading or audio because you know they didn't want to go out to where all the sick people were. Um, so of all the businesses that suffered, bookstores already were on the ropes. And a lot of them that you probably don't even know have closed have. Like a, at least one that I used to go to. Turned out it's gone. So anyway... I mean, now you're making me wonder if Green Apple in San Francisco, they can't have gone. I got to go check on a bookstore real quick. Uh, okay, since we're doing caveats, I'll give a caveat. 
that came to me as Jason was speaking, which is that normally we wouldn't recover a movie that our gamefully unemployed cohort covered on We Just Watched. But I think one of the great thing about Jordan Peele's movies is they do bear up under more than an hour of discussion. So let's get into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the positive and the negative. Because, uh, yeah, Jason, while well, you chose this and you already alluded to the fact that you have some kind of, as I would assume from you, cohesive thesis or at least jumping off point. So why don't you start us off with like, uh, why'd you pick Nope? I I know you have an agenda. That's what I, that's what you're hearing in my voice. Just launch the Jason ship. Just go. Well, this is absolutely <laughs> my, my thing. I, I, mm-hmm. I love this genre. It's why I work in this genre. I, you know, um, John Carpenter's The Thing is one of my favorite uh, horror movies ever. Ooh. It's not just a sci-fi. It's not just a horror. It's the fact that it's not, it's not the like minimalist psychological type horror where there's someone in your house or whatever. It is creature design. It is effects. You know, I, what I love about the thing is where some horror leaves a lot to your imagination the thing is like, no, here's the monster. I imagine. And we it. have worked really hard I did on it. For it. You. And yeah. and the whole thing that you say is like, well, you know, if you just let the 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 audience imagine the horror, what they imagine will be so much worse than what you know you could have shown them. And the thing is like, no. <laughs> this is worse than what they would have imagined. We we that <laughs> challenge accepted. So anything in that genre, you know, aliens, anything like that, mm-hmm. I I, I love it. It, it. That's my thing. So I was very excited about this. I did not go and see it in a the theater because I was still at that time, even now, very nervous about theaters. It will be years before I'm not nervous in theaters. I think I've only seen two movies in a theater since the pandemic started mm-hmm. but across. And you know, that's two and a half years now. Jesus Christ is about right. that long. Yeah. Um, and also the whole thing where what I love to discuss about Jordan Peele's movies and what I knew I would love discussing about this one, which is the way we talk about movies now, like if Jaws had come out in 2022, there would be tons of video essays and there would be tons of columns and people talking about well, why was it an oxygen tank that he exploded? What does the oxygen tank represent? What is What was he saying about politics in 2022 that it was an oxygen tank, that, that the thing that allows you to breathe underwater was also mm. your destruction? And, of course, th- th- that was just a cool thing they came up with. You know, the ending is different in Jaws, the novel. It was just a cool cinematic climax. It didn't. Right symbolize anything you know the the story is what it is it's man versus nature so here knowing the background of the other films that jordan peele has made because get out really brought that back in a big way i feel like get out was so fresh at the time because it was reintroducing us to something that is old hat you know like the zombies represent mindless consumerism or what have you but it had been a while it felt like when get out landed of like, ah, it, all the things mean something. So, yeah, you're always expecting that from Jordan Peele, right? Yeah. And here, I will admit part of what harmed my enjoyment of this movie was me trying to figure out how these themes fit together. And I have criticism of the ending where I feel like it didn't fit the theme or the theme. I, I couldn't tell what they were going for. But at some point, I think it, you would be right to say, well, why 
doesn't he have a right to just tell an adventure? Like, like, like clearly there's stuff going on here. Clearly there's things about the gaze of the audience and that, that kind of thing. There, there's themes mm-hmm. of Hollywood and, and the machine and, and that sort of thing and taming nature. But why does it all have to be a statement? Is that something where like the era of the YouTube video essay on film has kind of poisoned our brains where it's like, well, that wasn't consistent with the theme, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, why can't it just be, this is what these characters would have done in that situation. So that's why I would love to discuss it because I think sometimes the, with the last Jordan Peele movie, I felt like it a little bit got bogged down in, it makes a very cool image. It makes a very cool theme, but doesn't kind of make sense as a reality, but I don't know that he was going for that. I, I, I think the imagery, I, I think, you know, the, just these scenes and these, these things that stick in your brain, I think sometimes that's enough. Um, so anyway, there's a lot to unpack. You're talking about us yes. specifically with that. We're like yeah, the logistics of how sh- that works. Shares some that issue is what you're pointing out. Yeah. Um, where it's okay. clear that there's like, there's like themes and things going on there, but but when you sit down and try to unpack, well, like, well, how would that even work? What would the logistics be of them surviving in this alternate? It's like, well, that's not that's not what he's going for, you know. And so I think same thing here. I think a lot of what I have problems with is me assuming he's going for something, and that's not necessarily fair. It's not necessarily a fair way to look at a piece of art. Like green room is just Nazis are bad. And it's not like, oh, his hand was cut because of the blah, blah, blah. I really think that I try to, when I'm analyzing that aspect of a film, for me, it comes down to the expectations that the film itself sets up. Because I do, but you're right that we live in the real world and Jordan Peele. So that also has to do with legacy and being pigeonholed, right? Uh, You know, and building on success and becoming known for a certain thing. Like Dylan switching to electric and everyone getting pissed off, even though it's fine to play an electric guitar in and of itself. Um, I feel like I have, I would have, and I want to, and that's what's fun about the show is like, let's drill down and talk about, do you think uh, the film Nope sets itself up to be riddled out in that way where everything represents something? Um, or does it set it, or is it trying to have its cake and eat it too and be in a, be both? Um Because I feel like even if Jordan Peele hadn't made, well, that's not true. So knowing that Jordan Peele made Get Out in Us and knowing that these, this is in his like genre of films where everything is symbolic. I do think I, and I, by reflex did what Jason said. Like I analyzed the symbolism down to a detail level, whereas I, it really does work as a tone poem about like, I still feel that even if I had not seen Get Out in Us, I would come away going well it was about hollywood and exploitation but that's different than getting down to the point of i like i have notes like is the cartoon cowboy the thing that destroys it at the end because is that like the uh cartoony homogenization of things like marvel and the mcu ruining film (laughs) uh but you know but it's like it's probably just the jaws thing it's probably just how he thought to wrap it up Um, But I do think the film itself invites you to at least think at like under the skin to the level of themes. For example, if there if we weren't talking about the way Hollywood exploits animals, children and black folks, 
I, I think all those are themes. If we weren't talking, and women, excludes women, if we weren't talking about all those things, then it would make no sense that Stephen Yoon has a whole side plot where he witnessed this horrible chimp massacre. That would feel tacked on. But because he's a child actor, uh, those flashbacks feel earned and at the same time set up a system where I'm like, okay, so stuff means stuff. So this is an essay. So I should imbibe it as an essay. And I do think the film kind of asks you to do that. Abe, you ain't peeped yet. No, no, I agree entirely. And I think that it's a, it's an interesting issue to walk into a film and with the pedigree of, you know, they talked about a lot with Tarantino, the expectation of violence and the expectation of one-upping itself. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan was kind of next, you know, like... um, Of course, gotta have the twist, right? Everyone's kind of got like something which is funny and about this movie, everyone has a spectacle. Uh, and that spectacle is ma- designed to be uh, designed to have an expectation. And I think that this movie is really trying to talk about two things when it boils down to it. I think that, and I'll, and I'll talk about the symbolism when it comes up again, but like he's talking about in this movie, an industry that monetizes spectacle and that there's a human response to spectacle that just comes naturally from being human. And Peel hates our agreement our human agreement with both of those relationships. And he's just picking them apart. Um, and I think that that's exactly what he is doing is he's kind of common. He's commenting on a larger system, but he's also commenting exactly on what we're talking about, which is why like the aliens in this movie have been dubbed like the viewers. And there's many other nods to it. Um, but like, ultimately I think that that what he, this conversation that we're kind of, that we've approached with like, what's the expecta- expectation of a Peel movie? Um, I think is entirely what he wants people to be asking about the movies that he's making. And I think it's a very smart move. Like Jason, do you feel beholden? Are there certain elements? Cause for example, uh, a lot of your novels will contain thought experiments, horror flavored thought experiments. Do you feel now that that's a key ingredient of the John Dies at the End series? Do you feel trapped by the need to include stuff like that? Or does it feel like reskinning, you know what I mean? Reinventing the beat. I think that everyone who's ever written anything, they they want to adhere it to something in the real world, but that at some point it stops. So for example... Like um, George Lucas talked about Star Wars as a Vietnam metaphor, but right. only to a point. Like, like if you sit down and say, okay, well, then who's the Death Star? You blew up the Death Star. You want to blow up the United States? It's like, well, no, it's more you feel mm-hmm. something when you watch it on the screen because it relates to something in the real world. But it's not a one-to-one PSA about politics. It's just it's you you feel this primal connection of the the farm boy against the advanced tech empire of faith against the godless cold machine. It's these basic human things. I mentioned aliens earlier. The the way the aliens attack you clearly taps into primal fears of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Being forced to carry the offspring of of a, of a hostile of a penetrating or, or attacker, yeah. but if you start then picking apart the plot, it's like, well, okay, so then what does the queen represent? 
or why why does she you know she destroys the eggs of the queen how is that it's like well the the way the I, aliens attack the primal thing you feel in your gut is based on it tapping into a real fear in the real world but once you start breaking it down to this granular level, it's like, well, so the, the Marines going and, it, you know, it's like, well, who does that planet belong to? The humans settled it, but then the aliens came after. So who? it's like it's not it's not a one to one thing. So it, like in my case, there's clearly part of the, the core thing that pervades these books. And part of the humor is that you have these largely uneducated mostly unemployed people in their 20s in a very small town and they have all of the anxiety that comes with that. They're in a place where there's no hope economically. There's no jobs. The cost of living prohibits them from moving to a city. They're in a nebulous place in their life. And then when they encounter the unknown, it's very easy to see that and compare it to the same anxiety anybody in a small town feels when they are at the mercy of forces they don't understand they don't control, like, you know, and, and it's, it feels overwhelming. And so the tension you feel is because it taps into something you've seen or you felt in the real world. But if you break my books down into, well, it's like, well, this monster where, you know, it's it's like a big uh, creature, giant creature made of, of dicks. What, what does that represent? It's like, well, no, it's just a weird thing I thought of. So I, in terms of like wanting to have your cake and eat it too, I think we're all like that because it's like I want you to acknowledge how smart I was being and tying this into something that's real. But at some point, I want to be able to arbitrarily draw a line and say, no, they killed it this way because mechanically the way the plot was set up, that was the only weapon they had available to them. The, the, the shotgun doesn't represent anything. He killed it with a shotgun because that's what he had. Do you see what I mean? So I, I think every single director could sit down and watch YouTube video essays about their own movies. And at some point in that essay, they would chuckle because it's like the the purple curtains are just what we had in the prop department. They don't represent royalty. They're just they're purple because that's mm -hmm. what that's what we had. Mm hmm. And other right. times it's purple because it represents royalty. It doesn't matter. I think you can enjoy movies however you want and you can enjoy these plots. I think what you're saying is very true. Uh, it doesn't serve anyone unless it is true, unless you saw something you're like, this improves my uh, viewing of this. I prefer to watch it that way. I think that that's a good way to watch things too. I don't see why it takes away. You know what I mean? How it distracts from. It's just a way to enjoy the movie. Well, the fact that you can't map an extended metaphor to every detail begs the question, is that bad or isn't that? Is that because then you end up with this gray space, right? Where some stuff could mean something could have been unintentional. But the viewer, that's a level of abstract art that I can vibe with because I feel like the viewer gets... You know, like I, I thought maybe, as I said, the fact that it, the alien, that the viewer gets sick on eating fake stuff um, is the, about something about authenticity in film or groundedness in film. And that may or may not be true, but I still got that out of it. And that's neat. And it's on theme, you know, so it's like it's on theme, the yeah. film inspires you to meditate on the theme. And then you might get random stimuli that has you have your own epiphanies about the theme that Jordan Peele may not <clears throat> even have had. I kind of think that's cool. 
I think that's cool. But it's it it's it needs to be said that it is for a lot of people who are when you, and it and the setup is true. And I think uh, Jordan Peele would probably be the first to admit the spectacle. He's not saying that the spectacle of his movies, the spectacle of anything that happens in you know the, in modern America, especially. Uh, isn't true. He's not saying that spectacle ought not exist or that it, uh, you know, it doesn't exist. He's just saying that he just wish it didn't work this way. And we should think about why it works this way and what's really going on behind that, especially the industry stuff, because that feels like stuff we could change, but the human nature stuff, it's always harder to kind of uproot that. Um, but I do think that when it comes down to it, Jordan Peele is basically trying He's basically trying to say build a system, and I think that for viewers like you and I, or you know, even Jason, we're we're all looking for a system that once we've attached to, we're like, okay, now now I okay, so this is working now. The wheels are turning. I see the metaphor. I see the symbolism. This is actually pretty cool. So it does feel like a betrayal when something is not that, but I don't think that that I don't think it should see, be so harsh. Uh, as long as there's a system that is built to a certain extent, I think that's the enjoyment itself. Uh, I think that once you get to a certain point, you don't need to follow the rules and you can just like you were saying, sometimes it can just be a shotgun or whatever he has, you know, nearby. Um, and so the system, the symbolism, all that stuff can kind of go away and that's fine too. Um, now is this my excuse for like, I think we should probably get into the specifics of what, makes like for Jason what makes nope a letdown because that's kind of how you started is it what specifically about the ending gives you pause or confusion there are multiple themes here it seems like it, that that I I love all of it to be clear again this is a thing where I'm going to spend 80% of my talking criticizing the movie that that I love I I think this is a masterfully crafted acted shot piece of film uh, unique creature design like the and and i'm actively rooting for everything about this these actors right. to be in more stuff for him to make more and bigger movies for more movies in this my favorite genre of high quality so it is ridiculous for for the only thing i say publicly <laughs> to be a bunch of criticisms but I I enjoy criticizing the things i love more than i enjoy crapping on garbage because the fact is he's giving cares, me yeah. something <laughs> to chew on. Like that's mm -hmm. what's so great. Exactly. Most a lot of horror, especially like lower budget, like ghost type horror that became popular the last several years of the like the paranormal activity or the the conjuring variety, where it's always like a wet old woman is the monster <laughs> for some reason. Like there's not much yeah, to chew right. on there. It's it's all the same. It's it's not really saying anything. The worst it, indictment is to say nothing about it at all. Or to say, yeah. well, it was boring. Mediocrity. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it was fine. Here, yeah. the first theme that I love that makes this unique, and there's so much about this that's unique, is one, the the running theme of like training an animal and the limits of how you can do that. Like you, you, you can only do it so much, you know, that you're well, opening. And of course scene, it makes OJ perfectly suited for the monumental task at hand, right? Like only he could train an alien. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, you know, the, the, the opening scene is at the set in the past of the sitcom where a 
is it a chimpanzee? Am, am I bad? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. a chimp. Goes no, crazy chimpanzee. And, and kills several people, which anyone who has listened to Joe Rogan knows that uh, primates are incredibly strong and you do not want to fight one. Um, that's mm -hmm. a favorite subject he brings up a lot. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant he was just a living example of a strong, no, angry No, on his show, he's obsessed with the <laughs> idea of how strong yeah. like chimpanzees and, and oh, yeah. gorillas are. They're made of muscle. And so it goes wild. When animals kills attack. A, kills a bunch of people when like a balloon startles it. And then the child version of Stephen Young's character, he's like a child actor in the past. He is saved by basically blind chance. It, it, like he's almost face to face with this this animal and he looks off and he sees a shoe that has landed in a strange way. It's like perpendicular. It's landed on its heel. Yep. And I guess because he's looking at that, he doesn't make eye contact with the chimpanzee. And that's what saves his life because they establish that like staring mm. them down is what makes them flying to rage because you're challenging them. Yeah. And then one of the next early scenes you see is, you know, the main characters are horse trainers for Hollywood, which is a apparently and maybe this is true in real life. That is an industry that is disappearing because so many productions are going to CGI animals because, of course, that's safer, safer for the animals, safer for the Potentially people, more humane. Right. And in many cases, probably at this point, even you know less expensive. Um, mm. So they're kind of it's clearly they're part of a dying profession and the fir very first thing you see is a horse misbehaving on set it kicks somebody because they didn't obey the strict rules he gave so establishing that he knows everything there is to know about how to train these animals he's an expert but the main thing he understands is that there is a limit to how much you can train nature like like they're not it's not a stuffed horse. It's a real horse. It, it, it you know, it's, it doesn't do everything you want. And if you startle it, yeah, it'll, and it's very strong and it can hurt and you. There's it can a kill language. You. There's a, the way you, you commute, I think importantly, there's a way in which you commune with nature that is respectful and acknowledges that person as, or that thing as yes. a, uh, as an entity. And starts with the respect, the, the key word there. It's respecting it. Like this thing is stronger than me. It's not, these things are not put on earth to be tools for humans to use. Horses are not, you know, that's one th funny thing about, you know, the, the fantasy and Western genre is that horses are a, met a mode of transportation. They're not like living, we just treat them like motorcycles. You just hop on and take off. Um, right. And so that theme, if it had just been about that, is great because the way he has to uh, eventually, the way he's uniquely suited to to handle this creature after it has killed people that have failed to learn this lesson is that he does respect it as its own thing. And he trains it based on observing its rules, observing its behavior and then operating within the limits of that. And so the idea that the way they they survive it or defeat it is by that, that's all great. But but then there's this totally separate and seemingly totally unrelated running theme about the nature of audiences and the modern desire to just document our lives and document everything and that everything is done for an audience to the point that they name the creature the viewer, which if you're obsessed with like trying to find the symbolism in a film, you're like, oh, okay, so the creature is the audience. So then I actually we... can't map this. I agree with Jason. So this then one doesn't really map for me. Oh, then we are the spectacle. Are we the, the yeah. spectacle. So then why? What would? What's our relationship? 
And so when I when thought the, the alien was the spectacle, it's made of film. It's made of like film screens and its eye is a camera. I thought it, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. Right. So then this is where, again, he he could Jordan Peele, if he were here on this podcast, could say, well, no, they just call it that because it's it's clear that it's like watching them and, and observing or, or whatever. But I guess. Yeah. And then when you get to the ending, everything comes together because uh, once again, really, this is something I try to do in my books. I'm not as good at it as Jordan Peele, but I try to never make it where we have to just shoot or explode the monster. There's always a much weirder, a much more complicated thing you have to accomplish. And here he pulls that off beautifully because their goal, it is established early, is not just to get away from the creature. It's not to kill the creature. It is to document the creature. Mm-hmm. And their task in the finale and the climax is 10 times harder because of that. Like the whole issue with the way that it shuts down electronic devices, that's only a problem because their goal is to get it on camera. So everything, that that whole complicated scheme, and they set up all of the, these inflatable car dealership dancing inflatable guys, and they they have people positioned everywhere, and they, they set up this whole elaborate scheme. It's just to get it on camera. That's great. Because it it totally plays with the convention. They're not being chased by this thing. They're chasing it. And it's a deadly threat. But it's like, no, their concern is getting it on camera so they can make money off of it. Like, that's such a unique angle. But are they are we criticizing them? I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, but are we criticizing the protagonists for taking this attitude? Like, it, it costs some people their lives. But in the end, it's like, well, no, we... We're rooting for this to happen. They don't like learn the lesson that they were wrong to do it. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. when you um, you start to combine those two themes, it wasn't clear to me how they fit together. And then seeing how it plays out in the climax, it wasn't clear to me. Like if if that was all supposed to be part of the symbolism of these two themes, I totally lost track of it. The movie really is about a brother and sister healing a relationship. So in the same way, animals like have rules that you need to obey. Likewise, people do as well. So it's not as much as an indictment on, like I did talk about how the industry monetizes spectacle and human response to spectacle with that second part, which seems to not relate for you guys. I think that what Peel's trying to say is that when we look at like Emerald's character, the two, the brother and sister are OJ and Emerald, Mm -hmm. right? OJ is like quiet and responsible. Emerald is really, uh, I think it's cast and crew. I think she's (laughs) cast and he's crew. They all have this want, right? Uh, Ricky wants to be friends and perform with the, with the aliens. Emerald wants to photograph it and benefit financially. Uh, Angel wants to just know more about it. But with OJ, it's like, he's coming from, they're all coming from this part of grief and this thing, this fissure that kind of, comes from the grief of something left by the father, which is why they named the alien Jean Jacket. Emerald was deprived of Jean Jacket, who was horse she thought would be hers. It soured her on the whole like ranch deal, right? She's excluded she from the industry. Yeah, Left her a bit distrustful of her father specifically. I think we're meant to believe that this is profound in her childhood and set her on a path of like rebellion against everything because there's this feeling she doesn't show up or take responsibility. We see her constantly spinning her side projects and acting unprofessional, much to the chagrin of OJ, who has begun to fall in the footsteps of his father, 
like in in terms of like demeanor he acts like him and a duty to the ranch uh in the end though emerald like basically takes up the mantle of ownership and puts everything under one thing and sees it through and while staying with the ranch what's help that helps kind of heal her relationship with oj so if that's like the grief part if that's like what we're talking about emerald and oj have to find a way to see eye to eye it's that kind of conversation much like a conversation with a chimpanzee or a horse that it's not some insane obsession and that's something that could be interpreted i think there's this dot 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 that happens at the end of the movie which is okay they got the photo and the things like I think dead, you know, although there's a whole other thing where he talks about like or uh, he's talked about like all of the interpretations of the monster developed from like jellyfish and, mm. uh, you know, like aquatic animals. And some of them when they, they don't really die, they just go back to like an embryonic state. But you can infer they Sequel. could interpret this wrongly. They could continue to do the spectacle thing and make so much money about it to make uh they could they could it can become their lives essentially they could become ricky right well, um, you don't think they will profit off of the photo that she got i think they are gonna go on oprah and whatnot. i think the oprah shot yeah i think that it here's the, that's what i love about it is that it's they the oprah shot is a little bit sabotaged because the thing exists. It's dead. Right, the now. body's there now. It's on the ground. It's basically just bragging rights that we got the shot. That we 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 did what we set out to. We were there. We were in history. Yeah. We saved our own lives, and we like essentially stopped the murder of horses. So when we when it comes down to well, it, some of the ho- he murdered a lot of the horses before they he, without it out. him knowing it. That, that's <laughs> yeah. also Ricky Ricky's thing. But like, yeah, when it comes down to it, you have this this complicated thinking about the uh the interaction with like nature and its power and then you have this interaction where it's like between a brother and a sister where they have to figure out the way in which they can see eye to eye so i think the connective tissue is how do you kind of how do you traverse either of those situations how do you traverse this situation with spectacle uh that we seem to all have in this country dealing with like content creation i mean there's the tmz reporter and all that how do we deal with this well you there's a layer of respect that needs to be kind of acknowledged and all the problems kind of start to go away once the respect is there so i don't think he's saying we shouldn't watch movies we shouldn't monetize spectacle He's not saying it. He's just saying that there's a way in which things ought to be done. I do think it's arguing for humane filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that so I guess long story short, I think that they are connected because it's the solvency of all of these problems comes from the same like place. You know what I mean? So I have said on Twitter, one of the, I think, 11 social media platforms that I'm on that the part where the creature dies at the end felt mm-hmm. to me like something that was added in response to test screenings because it feels like that sabotaged what they were going for where the whole thing that was unique about the hook was it's not you know the the moment where jaws is heading toward you and you've got the rifle and you're trying to shoot the air tank in its mouth that you know it, it it's not um you know, blowing the alien out of the airlock. 
it's just trying to get it over a camera. So the thing where she invents a method of getting something into the sky so that it will fly over the one remaining working camera they've got. It's like, and then she captures it on film and that's your hero moment. But then as a bonus, it, it kills it. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. And so then it, it swallows this balloon and then it pops and it seems to have killed it. And as you said, it would imply the thing's just going to flutter to the ground nearby. Nearby, it feels like the fact that the balloon killed it one, I can't remember where that was ever set up, that this creature would be harmed by a balloon popping inside it. It seems like to it, have was. A, it seems to have a body that's very flexible and that could absorb, right. it, you know, it kind of unfolds itself. Right. I, I, I wonder, does that mean you could kill it with like a flaming bow and arrow? Or, you know, it seems like just, it's pretty weak at that point. I think well, it's just the pressurized air. It's, it was just too much, but... Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying, and, and I, it's true. It she, wasn't set up. They inserted like ADR dialogue or, or something where, when she's going and raising the balloon, like she says something like, "This thing's gonna fuck you up." Like, like, like she knows it's mm -hmm. gonna kill it, but there's no reason why. I don't remember that ever being set up where they're like, "Well, if nothing else, we can make it eat this balloon. That'll that'll take it down." Like she's frantically trying to unhook this balloon, this cowboy-shaped balloon, to get it up into the sky to get its attention. That's all. Yeah, and it's like you know, the tension should be: can she? You know, she gets it over the camera, and that's the lure. And I would I would be fine if it was just entirely. Well, this thing is up there, and it has eyes, and it's this thing is going to want to challenge it because it's another flying creature or whatever. So it's, its instinct is going to be to come try to confront it or attack it. And that's going to be the lure that lets, get her, lets her get a photo of it. Now, I do not know how you end this movie otherwise. If the act of photographing it somehow makes it decide to just return to its own dimension or its home planet or whatever. I get that in a monster movie, either you have to kill the monster or that something if if your goal could is return just, to space i would yeah. have bought that still um but the moment you I don't kill think it from space just logistically within that universe yeah you now have an alien corpse like this photo is fine it's like well hey we got a photo of when it was still alive it's like that's great but the the possession of the alien corpse and whoever gets onto their property and gets the alien corpse first like now that's who's Famous, and so if it's like from the beginning, if your goal just been to kill it, then your job is much much easier, and the themes kind of don't make sense. So, the fact that it died felt gratuitous, or I would have preferred that. I don't know, they scared <clears throat> yeah. it away or something. But if I could easily see a test audience saying, "Well, that's stupid. It's just going to go off and eat more horses. We want to see it die," and they they had him tweak it so that it's like, well, the thing that she used to lure it, maybe it popped in its guts and and blew it up what if he fully trained it and like he could ride it around like a horse and then they <laughs> revitalize their business doing effects and movies as the alien right. yeah. and just going full ricky i well, I, well something i want to just specify and like be clear about is that you're absolutely right it could it could have been all that it could have been a you know like test audience thing and because the allure of like right let's wrap this movie up in a good way and that's kind of you know uh, that's true. And that could be a criticism, but it is incorrect to say that Emerald thought it was going to explode or that she was trying to conquer it or anything like that. Antlers was trying to do that. Antlers is the photographer who was, who stood in the way and tried to record it. 
And that's equally as stupid as her trying to explode it. She was just trying to get it away from her. Um, so, and that was very clear. I thought in the movie, they're all just trying to get away from it once they were luring it to a position. Um, and that's where I think that once again, that respect kind of comes to play. You're in control of the situation thing. I'm just trying not to die. So the fact that it did explode, that's true in terms of like the, like she didn't want it to necessarily occur it is an, an ambition of the main characters in the movie i think that's the line in the saying you got to draw versus someone who's like trying to kill a, sh- a shark like jaws right they're trying to kill the shark in, in mm-hmm. this movie they they're not trying to kill anything okay they've they just they've inserted to. a line of dialogue where she's unhooking the balloon where she mutters something to the effect that this is going to fuck you up like this, this is going to kill fuck you. you up yeah i remember that not that they're, it doesn't it's not that it's going to kill i believe it's just going to fuck you this up this is going to fuck you up yeah just like all the others you're going to like retreat back into the sky because that was the system that they started to develop with it you know it doesn't like certain things and when you give it to them uh they the the ufo sky shark thing uh disappears for a little bit to kind of recoil. That's my, that's my read of what she was doing because like you said, who would have thought that that would have murdered it. It also kind of speaks to the, we accidentally fuck up nature sometimes and we transgress in ways we didn't anticipate, which could be a part of it, making them not exactly the most heroic of protagonists, you know, like they didn't know that that would murder it. And it didn't necessarily know that it was murdering us. It's just like a whale, you know, mm-hmm. just eating krill. Speaking of which, and speaking of antlers and dumb stuff, I there's another movie that did this trope that we just covered, and I forget which one it was. But in this movie, when they call antlers to tell him we have an impossible shot, and of course it turns out to be of this right unknowable predator that floats through the skies, uh, he happens to be watching footage of notable predators, like an octopus eating a crab and a tiger eating a snake. And it's like, where do you even find this footage from like 30s documentaries? What project is he working on? It's just like poetically so perfect that that's what he's watching. Um, I love little details like that that don't add up, but I digress. I wasn't 100% clear why that character was in the movie because it seemed like if you just if the only effect he had on the plot was to get a a camera a a hand cranked camera to the scene it seems like it would have been just as easy to have there the guy from uh fry's electronics or is that the name of the chain you don't have those here yeah it's fries Fries. um that he just that he was like a camera collector because that's why he works here and then he just had an old antique thing like he already had a friend who he had one he's like well i think this will work so it clearly there was more to that character like the reason they reached out to the cinematographer but he winds up basically sacrificing himself to try to get for the shot the shot the ultimate shot yeah which i think it's i don't know i read that as he's old hollywood right he's the traditional the show must go on any sacrifice for the shot and Something I kind of like about the film is I feel like it it's one of the few films where the title answers some of the questions it raises. Like, was it worth it for Antlers to get that shot? Nope. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. It's that he's stupid. That was in okay. vain. And I think that's the point of that. 
I think well, that's the point of them, yeah. Well, this is why I why kick this off about trying to deconstruct what it means here where I can imagine, easily imagine any creator, author, filmmaker, anyone being very frustrated that I'm not thinking in terms of these are just a group of human beings and they reached out to a guy they thought could help them get the shot. And then he, as a human being, did what he would do in that situation. He became obsessed with it, unreasonably so, and then wound up, you know, dying Whereas I'm sitting here saying, well, yeah, but what does he represent? What are you trying to say? Does he represent mm, the, right. the studio machine? Does he represent our our impulse? And I could easily see someone saying, well, he doesn't represent anything. He's a human. He's a full human being in this world of human beings. And that that's just another guy who's gotten entangled in this mess. And that his story could have ended any number of ways. But like he doesn't perfectly represent any force and like his fate is not necessarily deserved on, on top or... of that yeah on top of that like he, he if you were looking as if they are just little pieces on the board that uh are sim like symbolism pieces uh he doesn't really represent there's nuance that he represents kind of like the old hollywood i like that interpretation but like antlers doesn't actually represent anything different than the tmz reporter who's just obsessed with like trying to get a a recording even after he's hurt and he's just obsessed with like, I heard there's a good shot to be got here. Um, In a way they're the same character. One is like old school and one's new school. And it's, and it's very true that if you see them as that, um, I think that that they are redundant to extent. I also think that it's, I think it's key to kind of represent the machine of spectacle in this country where it's like you get you get a little bit coming from this angle of people who just want to see what the news is about it you get people who want to conquer it you get people who want to benefit from it financially and don't really care about it and you get people who want to know more about it and they're all different forms of disrespect and conquering i think that's the key we're taking capturing the TMZ yeah. re- reporter is that's a great example because I've seen people on YouTube and on Twitter and elsewhere because he rides onto the scene on a motorcycle and he's wearing like a mirrored helmet, right? And in fact, very similar to the mirrored sphere that you see in the horse, the spook yeah. the horse early on, and it, it feels like there's extremely there's extreme intentionality there over the choice. <laughs> it feels of the like a political cartoon, honestly. It feels very clear, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, so it's like, so I can see people trying to break down like, well, so is it supposed to be that he's reflecting the world back to us or the the only thing like he has no soul because all he knows how to do is like show the world to other people or all he cares about is capturing you see, you see what I'm saying? Because the whole like I love as, as a plot, I love that complication that this person's racing onto the scene and it's a problem mm. because one, he's endangering himself, but also they don't want someone else getting the shot first, right. and that's great. Like you're, you're, they're facing a giant flying carnivorous alien monster, and the primary challenge of the scene, like you, the audience, are sitting there with dread in your stomach, like, oh no, this guy's going to get the shot first, and it's like <laughs> that's that's hilarious. That is masterful filmmaking for someone who has an eye toward comedy and comedy beats that come along at perfect moments. It's great because there's an element of the ridiculous yeah. there. 
Um, because ultimately, Sympathy for the TMZ. Yeah, he is doing the same thing they're doing. It's just that they're competing. You know, it, it, his his intentions are exactly as impure as theirs. They make it clear from the start. Their goal is to get a huge paycheck and to go on Oprah. So it's great. And then again, so I don't know if I'm ruining the joke for myself by trying to piece together where it's like, well, he's on a horse. OJ's on a horse and this guy's on an electric motorcycle. So is there something about how it's the technology ah, that's the bad? the ancient struggle, horse versus e-bike. <laughs> yeah, or is exactly. that just for plot convenience that the reason he got stopped was because this thing kills electricity and he hasn't. He has not taken the time to observe the creature and train it and understand its tendencies. And then part the fact that it can turn off electronic devices is part of OJ understanding it, studying it, respecting it, you know, and that yeah. this guy doesn't want to do that. He just wants to exploit also, it. And so if an e-bike loses power due to like a malfunction, does it just suddenly violently flip forward? I, I got to no, imagine I that it so. would slow to a stop, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I, I hope that's I what hope. they do when the they, battery runs down. They just yeah. eject There's you no the, way. They eject you like <laughs> they, a Looney Tune, yeah. <laughs> There's no way. Uh, yeah. No, I no, I think that they're... I, I, I think that especially the... Um, is actually interesting because you've mentioned, uh, you know, a few times the electronic uh like interference that mm -hmm. goes on and it's interesting because i was reading an article about like where he got some of his inspirations from including other movies and stuff and one of the sections about the aquatic animals and like the jellyfish like i think it's it's less like a ufo shark and more like a ufo jellyfish literally they do the things where like it becomes a big tentacle monster at the end instead of this like smooth ufo pretty UFO. wicked that that is in nature uh, also the electrical interference those kinds of jellyfish also do that mm -hmm. they do weird stuff to like radio frequencies and all uh they affect the em spectrum so it's just funny to me that we keep i mean it, i think because the ufo like the idea of a ufo has so much uh you know weight cultural capital already it. yeah right i don't think that this movie actually tries to make if anything this movie's constantly trying to make it more familiar and bring it down to earth in terms of like this thing may not be extraterrestrial at all it may just exist somehow like you know oh like Loch Ness uh, monster style instead yeah, exactly, of aliens exactly interesting i thought that that was like kind it's of i didn't see, take, when i yeah. i when i watched the movie the first time i didn't think of that and then when i was reading this i was like that's interesting that he was kind of going for There's that no proof or, although yeah. other than the fact that Nope supposedly stands for not of planet Earth, uh, which oh I never heard that. Peel, well he indirectly confirmed it because someone's like one of his actors said in an interview, oh yeah it stands for not of planet Earth, and he went don't tell them that. Um, so <laughs> I, we think that's semi confirmed that that's intentional. That's um, but I love that take. That totally works for me. Yeah, that's what I do yeah. like about gathering takes. That's what I like about stuff that invites you to meet it halfway and sort of formulate your takes. I do understand the pitfalls that come with that. And I also like movies that literally just, you know, you can, you can, I feel like, like green room does this very well. Uh, it pretty handily trains you to not think at that level. Like when you watch green room, it, which just happens to be the horror thing that comes to mind for me right now. Um, never are you thinking beyond oh no gotta get away from the nazis kill the nazis um mm -hmm. and that's a huge success for me as a film great ride i don't want i don't need anything more than that but i also like this exercise like 
I want to share one before we run out of time here. One of my favorite things that I noticed on the second watch that I'm like, that's so detail level. I could be completely imagining it. But if it's real, it feels like me and Jordan Peele fist bumped or, you know, like the fact that he could transmit that in code and I got it feels so cool. If it is intentional. Um, I was thinking about the title cards, which are all names of the various animals, including the chimp. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really getting much out of that. And then I started looking up all the tracks that uh, M plays on the records when they're in the house partying Mm -hmm. and drinking. And I noticed that they are all eponymous tracks, meaning like. I forget the bands, but like if the band was called Foster for the people, it's a track called we are foster the people, or, you know what I mean? They were all tracks that have the band's name in the title. And, uh, I Uh. think there is a theme in the film about credit and giving credit. And Uh. like, then the title cards made sense to me because it's like, um, we're, we're name checking artists who made their names known by creating art where you couldn't take their name out of it. And right. we're also crediting the animals throughout the film, which you almost never do. Ghost, Clover, Lucky, Gordy. Yeah. But and then pick- I was like, then I have a note that's like Clover, sea lover, cinema lover. And I'm like, <laughs> no, lover? see, now you're no. making up bullshit. Now you're doing the nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. If it's, it's either clear, or it's not, it should be a postcard. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Symbolism should just be something that is just like sum up what you're looking at in a sentence uh, in just its barest details. Does that mean anything? If it means something more than in the sum of its parts, then guess what? It's symbolism. Otherwise you're just looking for nonsense. You know? Right. In that same vein, I actually thought there was a little in doing the research. One of the big parts about credit, uh, they, uh, they talk about the Zoa Praxiscope, which was invented in the 1870s, 1880s. And it's basically in the movie, you recognize it as, um, there was a jockey that they were related to who was the first actor in technically motion pictures. Um, and that is all true. This is all taken from actual uh, actual history. Uh, and it started with the drawing of animals. This, uh, this apparatus was invented by a guy, Edward Mybridge, and it started using, once he started using photographs, uh, and essentially the technology is a projector of a spindle that moves very quickly to give us the optical effect that we've kind of dubbed persistence of vision. Zoetrope. Um, yeah, zoetrope, basically. It's the first version of this. But the interesting fact about uh, like how it presents this apparatus and, and like the history of it is that the first photographs used in the discs were, were of a black man riding a horse, though it's not the one that you see in the movie. Uh, that was a disc created almost a decade or so later, which was just probably chosen because it's a much better image quality. But if you look even deeper, the one that predated, predated all of them is still an outline of man on a horse, and it's clearly a black man on a horse. Uh, and and it almost looks animated, and it and it just wouldn't look good on in in the movie, you know. But um, it's just how the photography was kind of limited in its infancy. But more importantly, when the slides and discs were like sold and they, they were dispersed and, you know, and it was like, here it is. There wasn't any credits list. Only years later were names even attached to it. And the research is basically shoddy at best. Um, what's interesting is that in, someone looked, someone, an internet sleuth, uh, found that one of the, the guy's name was probably Gilbert Dom because he was the jockey and it's... Uh, in the uh, in the clip known as the horse in motion, mm-hmm. and this is the earliest disc. But 
that was more based about based around they knew that guy was at the that farm it was uh the stanford farm of you know the guy who eventually went on to make stanford university anyway there's no proof that he was the man riding the tycoon's horse um and the one we see in the movie that's like a decade or so later there's literally no information about that writer as well. So the erasure of black men as the first human actors in motion photography in history is even more understated than the movie mm-hmm. presents. It was like all erased, you know, like yeah. they, there wasn't even a name that they could attach and have like a family say, like they don't know the who's great, 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 great. They just don't know. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely, I think there is a bit about credit in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when it comes down to, you know, their goal in the end to be credited as the ones who, you know, did the work of capturing this this creature and all of that and making sure that they get rewarded for it. Like that makes sense. And then you've seen other people like competing to to take that away from them, even though, you know, they're kind of the ones that have have sacrificed to to get to that place that's what i liked about it being called jupiter's claim sorry just the jupiter being the most massive planet and sort of like having a gravitational pull and also the idea that uh in their first meeting with him uh with stephen yoon this guy who's slowly planning to take over their ranch he says sukasa es mi casa which means your house is my house yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Jason. To be to be stuff. clear, we could do an entire separate episode about all of the little touches like that. Not right. just in the dialogue, yeah. but in the set dressing and the costumes. Everything feels intentional. I cannot express how much love and care went into this movie. Um and then how almost comical it is for me to complain that I didn't perfectly understand symbols because there is there are so many images that stick in your mind forever like the house drenched in the blood and and the this thing sailing across the sky with the sound of people screaming inside it because you can hear them because the thing itself is almost translucent yeah it's almost ephemeral like it's it's this very it's such a unique creature design because that's the thing with jellyfish is they can sting you and cause you to drown and cause unimaginable pain. They're almost entirely impossible to kill or exterminate, but they look so fragile and you can almost see uh-huh. through them and they're just barely there. Like they 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 barely exist. And when this thing unfolds itself, it's like a sail mm-hmm. and it's beautiful right. and like that's such a unique design because all of the visual cues for creature design that have been used to death, the tentacles, the teeth, mm-hmm. scales, slime, all these things that elicit a primal response. I've never seen a creature like this before to see a truly unique creature design in 2022 yeah. is like magical. This, this film should win Oscars just on that alone. So mm-hmm. much went into this where he could have settled for something. He could have just made it a UFO movie. He, he could have gone for so many different things. And at every step, tries a little bit harder, adds a little bit more for you to, to think about, to discuss, to chew on. It's all it's all wonderful. So when I complain that I didn't get something, there's a real good chance that it's just that it's literally just me. That said, there are right. two big things I don't get. <laughs> All right, yeah, Doctor yeah, Movie, yeah. tee him up. Yeah. One is Stephen Young's character. Now, is he? I thought his. Am I stupid? I thought his name was like Jupe or something like that. Like, what's 
That's the the uh, his name is Ricky Park. He's the Jupe, oh, okay. I think, it's is some because nickname. that's the name the Jupiter's Claims theme park, and they kind of I think they uh, I guess they he he got known as Jupe as well. Okay. Or no, you know what? Was that his name in? Was that I, that might have been his name? The character's name in uh, Gordy's. In the show, uh, who's coming to show. dinner or whatever the hell it was called. Yeah, yeah, it was like Gordy's, <laughs> Gordy's home. playground, Gordy's, Gordy's home. home. Yeah, yeah, so maybe his name was Jupe in that. But yeah, Ricky Park was his character's, the character's name. name. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily get, like, I, this whole movie starts with him and his experience as a child and coming face to face with uh, uh, with nature and animals out of control that that these people on this TV show, this crappy sitcom set, thought they could control and it turned out their control was an illusion and it goes wild and kills a bunch of people. And then they coldly gun it down, <laughs> even though it's just a startled animal. Like it's not a murder. It's, it just, it, it got freaked out. They, and, and it turned out that this thing they thought they had trained that it, you, you know, they, they, they talk about it later. They're like, we don't work with live chimpanzees on film sets anymore because they can't be trained. Like you, it was always just an illusion. Then he turns around, and it's not that he's the antagonist of the movie. Like, that's not fair to him. But he almost plays that role in the sense that he, in every Western, you often have, like, the rich rancher who's trying to buy up the land from the struggling farmer or, or the struggling rancher yeah. next door or whatever. And he's he clearly doesn't value the animals as anything other. Like, he's literally using the horses as bait right mm -hmm. just to draw yeah, in this so, thing for a smattering of people it's like like 37 people in his audience which incidentally he's apparently been doing for six months and yet the news that there's really ufos has not gotten out like it's not common see, knowledge but okay well see i thought this was the first time he did it in front of an audience i thought he was saying that he had spent oh, six well, months feeding horses to the thing well, I could be. That was kind of what I. I've got, only seen they it made once. a big spectacle out of it. Yeah, they they put out flyers. They made a big spectacle out of it. I see. I think that's all the new show. He okay. he thought he was you know kind of in the same way that he was kind of like fist bumping the chimp. I think he was trying to. I'm gonna feed you a horse so you're like calm near me. Like he was doing what he thought his version was of training. Training. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So because I didn't get what. And again, it's not that he has to symbolize some force in Hollywood. I didn't get why this is almost like his villain backstory or whatever, because it's like he doesn't have any respect for the animals beyond this is just a there. There's something to be exploited to make me rich to sell tickets. And it's like, why would him seeing that as a child? It seems like he would arrive at the opposite conclusion because the whole deal is like is he is is basically using his fame as the kid who was on set when the monkey went crazy right. to, to remain famous as an adult. Like there's memorabilia. It doesn't isn't he selling like little stuffed versions mm -hmm. of Gordy? Of, of, and he makes his. Gordy. I mean, his kids wear costumes that look like Gordy's. He's clearly still processing the trauma, which I think, of course, is about the commodification of child actors too, right? Like. Okay. And and gamefully, they talk about this a lot on the episode, but like there should never have been allowed to be a child with a chimp in an enclosure for your stupid sitcom, you know, and we chew yeah. up and spit out child actors, you know, as or at least I agree with them that that's a big part of his reason for existence. But you're right. That makes him more of a symbol than a 
well-rounded character. Yeah, well, I was going to say there was a, in it for me, and it all comes from that, like, kind of, that shot of that, uh, that, that ballet shoe. That is like that impossible kind of thing that you go. And like, then he oh, has that on display in the same thing. angle in his office. Right. What does that I, mean? I, th- I didn't get I, that. I, here's the thing is that I thought that I there was like a religious experience for him where he was like the chosen one who survived. Like, so to me, he really internalized this trauma as a way in which he's like, I can commune with beasts. I can commune and settle, you know, the violence. There's something about me that calms them. That's why I am the one to like take advantage Introduce of this. Introduce aliens per- to people. So that that yeah. was my interpretation of that is that he he believed his own kind of you know like royalty in that moment, even though it was just random happenstance that you survived, just like that ballet shoe. Just I don't know, it just fell that way. That makes perfect sense uh, now that you explain it, because it's it's that kind of survivorship bias that people don't understand where if they were the only one off the boat that sank they think it's because they did something magical when it's just like one of those statistically somebody was probably going to get off and the same thing with so many wealthy people who they've got this can't can't miss you know plan for success and it's like well i get up every day at 4 a.m and i take an ice bath and the ice bath clears my mind of of the negative toxins and then i I that's why i'm rich right it's like, yeah. this is why I'm a billionaire. It's, it's the, like, well, no, actually, you're a billionaire because of all the people investing at the time you were investing. You happened to pick right and they picked wrong and you happened to, it just, you kept doubling down on that win. But statistically, somebody was going to be right. You just happened to back the right horse by chance. And now you have fooled yourself into thinking, I got skills. I'm magic. Yeah. I'm the master of the universe. I am Scott Adams. <laughs> <laughs> And also just the the nature of humans as a species, our assumption that we, you know, that the the, the earth and and all of its creatures were given to us as Mm. tools to use, because after all, why else would we we be at the top of the food chain? It's like, well, you're at the top of the food chain because a lot of things landed in your favor, um, including the environment changing in a way that killed the dinosaurs, that kind of thing. But from our point of view, once we're here, it's like, oh, no, this is this was all made for us. Yeah. Um, oh, Jen kind of- just did this yesterday. Jen was saying there maybe there is a, some kind of intelligence, because what are the odds that the Earth would be the perfect distance from the sun? And all these factors would be right that we're here. And I'm like, it's the other way around. Those factors happen to happen. And that's why we're here. It doesn't mean that we're here for a reason. You know what I mean? Like some planet had to be in the right well, we distance know. from yeah. the sun and have life develop. It's just odds, man. The universe is that large. It really there's, is. You don't know that there's not like Lord Goldilocks in the sky. So I don't like know, but yeah. that's my thought on it. Yeah. Um, mm. But I think that's that's a good place to think of it because part of it in terms of tying into the rest of the themes, the fact that he grew up trying to recapture the fame, believing that that's the only thing that would ever give him worth as if like to the point that he's confronting this clearly carnivorous monster because it's a chance to be to back get on, like on the, 16 sta- people to come watch him. Yeah. Yeah. To be back on the world stage again. And the fact that in the context, yeah, of the film that it's extremely sad, like his whole setup there and right. that he can't attract that many people. Cause they obviously would just assume it's, it's some stupid, he's going to have like a stupid drone or something. He's yeah. claiming as, well, look, it's mm-hmm. UFO. 
uh, <laughs> a big painted balloon or something. Um, and so it's all, it's all very like depressing because he's clearly he's in the middle of nowhere. He's clearly not like getting super rich off this, and clearly is you know clinging to the past. He's built a creepy secret room with all of his artifacts from the, the, the worst show. day in his life. Yeah, yeah, and it, and so yeah, I, I guess my my whole thing was when I was watching is like I don't get why this guy is a villain considering what he's been through, but I can what you said makes sense that um, it's it's more about like the lessons him taking the wrong lessons right. from this, this i think trauma. it's the wrong lessons and the the reason he is a villain is because i mean he's killing horses you know like he he doesn't have any kind of barrier between what he should do and what makes him money you know so the other I think thing that's what separates him from uh, you know oj and even by the end of the film but not at the beginning of the film emerald the other thing I didn't get was something that we touched on earlier that seems to be a key piece of symbolism and seems to be placed as symbolism, like in the way the camera lingers on it and the way the characters linger on it, which is the whole don't look at in the eye type thing where the horse saw the reflection and so saw what it thought were eyes, eyes staring it down and it went crazy. And then obviously, it, like I could see if it was just a Chekhov's gun that they set so that later on in the climax, they use that as a way to like draw the creature and then a way to freeze the creature in place or whatever with putting eyes on it. Or, But in terms of the symbolism, we talked about the helmet of the motorcycle guy from TMZ. I didn't get what it was. If that's saying something beyond that, if it's saying something about being afraid of seeing yourself in reflection or, or being afraid of, of perceiving yourself is what makes us want to just, uh, you know, see everything through a camera or something like that. I didn't get what that was saying. If it was saying anything at all like that. Or seeing got, your reality yeah. reflected in film, but why would that drive you mm. crazy? Abe, I think you fix it for us. I don't know. No, I don't. I mean, like, that's an interesting question. I, I guess I just read it as it's interesting because, like, I didn't even think of it as reflective surfaces. So I didn't think about the reflection aspect of eye it. Eye for an eye. But it's true. There there was there's a lot of eyes symbolism. And I think it's more of to me, I internalized it all in the same kind of thing about like the uh, just like how you how you respect nature, because it's you have to perceive their you have to a part of the reality is their perception as well. So when it's a shot of a horse's eye, I always thought it was Jordan Peele saying to us, remember the horse itself has a perspective. And if you're not obeying the rules of that perspective, that is where respect you, you've already lost respect there. And the same thing of why like the, um, the uh, the monster itself in its first form looks like a pupil or looks like an eye. It's like, screaming at us look these you got to look from their perspective so that was my interpretation it's just that when you have that in a film where so much of the context is about hollywood and the media and cameras and the nature of like trying to capture things on film and and exploiting things so they can be filmed mm -hmm. it feels weird that that wouldn't be part of that theme but once again, Jordan Peele is under no obligation to make for that everything to be a symbol. But part of it that feels like whatsoever. it would be. Yeah, it does. It just, you're, you're right, because there are shots of camera lenses and such. I think it's just about like 
looking at the gaze of everything. But um, you're right. That, that's true. There might be something there that we're not seeing, or there might it may be a not airtight <laughs> as we were talking about earlier. Because to talk about, because I talk about like what types of horror movies I like, the film that is the most opposite of that, and that I also consider yes, to man. be borderline a masterpiece, is The Blair Witch Project. A film mm-hmm. that is, I think, forever ruined in the cultural memory because mm-hmm. it launched the cursed found footage genre. Yeah. yeah. Rough genre. But that people forget that what made that movie special wasn't that it was found footage. It was how they did it, that they took actors out into the woods for several weeks and got them cold and scared and wet and did this basically experiment to capture real visceral reactions where the actors knew it wasn't real. But at the same time, if you take... It's Look, if, if you get me alone in a big building at, at night and you make me go down the basement by myself, I'm going to get scared. I know monsters aren't real. You'll become a better actor than you thought you ever could be. Yeah. But yeah. in that moment, if something like tickles the back of my neck, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to give you a fear reaction on camera that I could never have given. And here they took these people, they got them hungry and tired and whatever, you know, they kind of were, were you know, they weren't going to a hotel room at night. They were out there. And so when they started hearing stuff at night and they didn't know what was coming, like they they had an outline that's like to direct them to not do the wrong thing. Like when you see, when you hear the thing, you need to run out this direction. Like they knew that because obviously they had to have the cameras there Um, and they had everything, everything operating correctly. But at the same time, they didn't know exactly what was happening. And so they captured a series of very real reactions from a group of totally amateur actors. Like they had a few credits, but they were just young people who were mostly just aspiring actors. Answered a Craigslist ad or something, right? Yeah. Yes. And some of them, like Heather Donnie thought it was made possibly a snuff film. Like she brought like a knife with her because she thought they might be just filming them being actually murdered to sell it on the black market in some foreign country or whatever. Um, That, which is a good idea. An urban legend, by the way, those those don't exist. But anyways, Mm -hmm. um, and so what they did was it was a masterpiece, I I believe, because in making something where you never see the monster, you know, they didn't have a budget for a monster, all that. It still came back to a beautiful and perfect theme that was perfect for that era, which was these people sat out in the woods and because they were filming it they were under the impression that they couldn't be hurt by it. And this is actually a line they say in the film. She's like, when, you, when you're when you watching everything through this camera, there's like a line of unreality between you. You feel like right. you're not actually there. You feel like it's just something you're, you're watching. Totally, totally. And then the metafiction of this is some footage they found under a cabin and we edited it, we cleaned it up and edited it, and here it is. We don't know what it means, but here it is. And and so we're just going to let you decide. And it's the same deal. It's like we're watching it, and then they tried to, like the way they promoted it, they, they actually pretended it was a real piece of footage. And, and so it's like we're erasing that line of safety. We're, we're making you think like that you're watching reality, but at the same time, you sat down thinking you were going to watch some young kids be murdered in the woods and you just sat down and watched it for entertainment mm-hmm. and you can talk about it forever. Like it's a really smart concept. I think it was perfectly executed. 
I think it was so like upsetting to watch the first time that I, I don't think I've watched it again because it's like that when I was watching it, I was all the way into it. Like I was, I saw it in theaters in. as a child. I was very, very scared. I remember it well. Yeah. Cause as they're out in the woods and you see these people, like they're bickering with each other and it's like, they're upset because they're lost, but also like, they have jobs to get back to this camera equipment is rented. It has to be back. And it's like, and then, you know, she brought them out here and they're just getting madder and madder and madder at her. Cause, cause you know, mm-hmm. she's supposed to know where they're going and, and the map doesn't work. And, and, and it's just so tense. And then it, as things start to supernatural things start to happen, even though what's happening is almost nothing. It's just a sound in the woods, the bundle of sticks. Or like there are sticks there. <laughs> but if it's, if it, you, nope. but it's like, no, I, cause I'm imagining being out there and I've been camping before and I've been lost before in the woods. It happened once. And it's like, those sticks mm. shouldn't be there. Those yeah. who made those sticks. <laughs> and it does not take much to, if horror is done correctly, it, yeah, it doesn't take $2 million worth of latex right. and animatronics to make a big slimy thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just the, this idea of being lost and you're out there with nature and you realize how vulnerable you are. But there was this other theme of like it like it had it, they weren't documenting a camping trip. They were documenting them out there to make a documentary about the Blair Witch Legend. So you're watching a camera crew and they thought they were out there to film something. And then it's like, oh, no, this is real. We're actually going to die. I thought the message of that was kind of perfect because it's it's kind of it's criticizing them. And it's also criticizing us and the way that we view real things happening right. as entertainment, <clears throat> which now, you know, 24 years later is more relevant than ever. Because we can all scroll through social media and YouTube and TikTok or whatever and see video of road rage or a mentally ill person going crazy on a plane or somebody, uh, or if you go to the darker places, somebody being beheaded by a cartel. And right now there's a 12 year old watching that for entertainment, watching it because it's interesting. And Mm -hmm. that layer of unreality, it's like, well, because it's on a screen, it's not real. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it can't hurt me. Right. Which is why many times people who actually experience what we would call movie like things like a sudden shooting or grotesque violence often, often describe it as it felt like I was in a movie. That's very common. Yeah. So I, when I was seeing the theme, they kept coming back to with the gaze and with don't look it in the eye or, or it'll be threatened. If you look it in the eye, I, I felt like they were saying something about that where, like on par with the Blair Witch Project, where it's like it in itself is a meta commentary on the viewership of you watching the movie, and so your expectation is that if there is that imagery in Nope, Nope has something to say about you, the viewer watching Nope right now. What and does it, that say? If is that's that, true, the creature, the climactic shot is the creature looking directly in the camera lens with its eye or what we assume to be its sensory apparatus. So there's a moment in the climax where you, the viewer, are staring the viewer in the eye. So isn't that a reflection in its own way? Like the movie does that to you. It shoves an eye in your eye. Are you supposed to flip out? Is he trying to incite us to flip it out? I mean, like you asked a good good question because there's literally so many eye imageries Mm -hmm. and and, and reflection imagery in this movie. But I just want to mention, I don't know if it's its eye as much as it's like 
eat hole and poop hole. You think it's <laughs> its cloaca? Like, maybe it could be all three. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that there is an expectation. Um, if I, I'm still get, waiting for verification from Jason, if that's what you're trying to say, or that's what why you mentioned uh, Blair Witch Project. I guess my, the, the, the connection was Stephen Young's character that he... He never once thought that he that the creature would attack him, because it's never like, well, no, it, yeah, it, it's it's part of the show. Why would it attack? It's like, no, it's it's. I, I've got uh, my audience here, and we're going to lure the creature down with it. We're going to use a horse for bait. But the concept that he was in danger, or that his audience was in danger, it's like, no, but because we're watching it, it's not real. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it's like that was the the thing that was the respect that OJ gave it, where it's like. No, you just have to not look at it. Where in the, but then like the mm-hmm. guy, the TMZ guy on the motorcycle, it's like not once did he think he could be hurt. It's like, no, this thing exists for me to photograph it and, right. and, and make a, make a film of it and for other people's entertainment. I'm not, it, it like introduces this unreality or this feeling of, I don't know, invulnerability or something that. I don't know. It, it felt like there was a similar theme where it's, it's just like, there's a, this belief that and I guess you see it. There's natural disasters with people in a tsunami, and you see video of the survivors in the middle of it, and it's like, wait, they stopped to film it. And I'm glad they did. I'm glad stuff gets documented. But it's like, Jesus Christ, the water was blasting Survived. away the houses yeah. around them, and they stopped and filmed it with their phone. And the fact mm-hmm. that that's their instinct, and that would probably be my instinct too. It's really interesting because it's true they survived because we have their video, but you wonder how many people died with their phone in their hand. Trying to give I themselves mean, a temporary think, illusion of safety. Yeah, I think with Antlers and TMZ, well, the motivation is different subtly. I think that they're both analogs for that exact reason. Looking through a camera, you think you're invulnerable for some weird reason because it's detachment from reality. Um, I think that the movie does have that to say. I don't think that the movie, I personally didn't get anything from the fact that the movie, the movie is trying to say us as a viewer are, are a part of that process or rather that our part of that process is that we're human and we do this thing to spectacle, not that us viewing, uh, viewing the monstrosity is itself, um, something that something that we should not do anymore, but rather the way in which we try to interact with, in this case, apex predators and, you know, beasts uh, that are very powerful and could destroy us. We need to, you know, respect that domain. Yeah. Um, and also my interpretation, the themes and movies don't have to be telling you to do a thing or to stop doing a thing. It can just be observing. This is how people are. Like, it's interesting that in the era of mass media, which, again, in terms of, like, human evolution was a microsecond ago, mm-hmm. right? The mass media era, you know, only goes back to my grandparents' time. Right, yeah. And that in this time that the idea that we can sit down and view, you know, war footage of, of from Ukraine. I can go on TikTok right now and watch Russian, Russian soldiers die. I can watch mm-hmm. their, their tank explode. I can watch videos that other Russian soldiers soldiers from the other side of the war took from inside their tank that probably got exploded that next day. But because it's on a screen, 
there's like this, it doesn't make it real to me. It almost does the opposite. It almost renders the world unreal. And I feel like there's something that was being said, and maybe it's not that that simple or straightforward. And it doesn't even have to be a criticism. It's just the nature of like you're watching this through a camera and because you're seeing it through a camera, you automatically, you instinctively assume that, well, this is, this is a thing that exists for me to look at it. Mm-hmm. And the idea that this thing is now going to come eat me and my camera, uh, it just, I, I don't know, but maybe that did occur to him. Maybe it was maybe, maybe and I, I can't believe that guy's name was antlers. I, some reason did not yeah, pick up on that. Antlers. I laughed at that. It's one weird here. with that. I like antler would make sense to me, but for some reason, plural, both antlers, it's like, that's, although that's obviously intentional that it's the part of an animal that it fights with. I think that's a thing, but go is ahead. Dave. Yeah, okay. that's true. What was it's, his last uh, name? I don't know. I think that may have been his last name. Antler's but, giraffe neck. They fight with yeah. their necks. I do think it's interesting. <laughs> the The meta commentary on watching a movie with like this to me is actually housed in a different aspect about it. And because I, I do acknowledge and I think it's very smart to like look at that eye thing a little bit more and in, in terms of how we view violence and how we view spectacle. Uh, but I just want to it made me think of another observation, which is something we kind of talked about, but I want to expand on and hear your guys' thoughts on in terms of uh, this movie having heroes, because there's a very, it's a very heroic moment when they defeat, you know, uh, a jean jacket. But I don't think that they're supposed to be heroes. (laughs) I think that they're a part of the problem. They're going about it the right way. But I think that kind of like what we were talking about at the very top of this podcast, where we're like, it's going all like animals are going the way of CG. And there's, I I forget who had it, but someone had a commentary. It's just more humane. Uh, I think my thought is actually that Jordan Peele would probably agree with that more than we'd, the more that like, we're trying to treat this, as like, how do we commune with beasts? How do we commune with nature that is terrifying? Uh, and it's this kind of binary where it's like we do or we don't. And that's what Jordan Peele's trying to say or that's what this movie's trying to say. And I, I, I do like the idea that it's not that simple. And that would also make his heroes not really heroic because they're doing a thing that, frankly, there's always the option, which is just to go, nope, and just you're not just don't do that at all and that might be staring us in the face of uh i i like to interpret them as protagonists that are very flawed at the beginning and a little less flawed at the end but still engaging in this dialogue that is the monetization of spectacle a spectacle and the chasing of something that is frankly should not be chased they're just all, all these characters are just different vignettes of how to fuck it up uh, and some people fuck it up a little less than the others. Um, I do like that read of this movie. And I I encourage people to be okay with movies where it's like, even though it had the music swelled and she said, fuck yeah. And I was like, yeah, that fuck yeah, she won. Uh, but what did she win? <laughs> you know, like, and also like, I'm glad she's alive. And that's probably the farthest extent that we can go with that. Because like really is she going to be different now? Is Emerald going to be less about her? Like, is she going to be more about duty? Is she going to be more about the side hustle? What are we saying about the side hustle? Is she self-involved or does she actually care about her brother now? 
uh, like what's all going on at the end. Uh, to me, that's the, that's the true, like kind of assumptions need to be checked when you're watching this film, because that's the heart of the, the movie to me is that brother sister thing. Um, so that's just one thing that I, I thought of while you're talking. I think that's dead on because there's multiple times when they make it extremely clear they're not it, – it's similar to what uh, the TV show Better Call Saul does where it makes it extremely clear that sure. Jimmy slash Saul, he's not desperate. He doesn't have to do what he's doing. He's making a choice. Like it, it's not – he's not in a Walter White situation where he finds out he has cancer and has to raise the money to pay his medical bills. He's doing well already. That he chooses to go into this life because he wants to be doing better. He wants to be, you know, he's got all these insecurity issues. And it's the same thing here. Like they have multiple chances to get away. They have multiple chances where they could pick up the phone and call somebody from a nearby university and say, hey, I think we've got an unknown species here. Like you could even like con conceal the UFO-ness of it. <laughs> And if just you're say afraid. something's killing horses or something. Yeah, or, or something like we, or if you wanted to get, you know, the the military involved, say, hey, we think we've got an, in, uh, like some sort of an aircraft that uh, looks like it's uh, ISIS. Yeah, and it's uh, kill our horses. We think it's a drone yeah. from uh, pick, pick Your Enemy Country. It, it's uh, from Russia. Mm -hmm. We've got a Russian drone here. Like there's ways they could have gotten authorities on the scene to. They just put it in a folder and they just say another person called us about ISIS, right? <laughs> about their neighbor. Yeah. Um, but but the film, like the film could have gone through with very a very minor rewrite. You could have put them in a situation where they physically can't right. escape. Yes. Like where they physically can't go anywhere, or right where and they chose to stay underground. Yeah. yeah, and they and they and they absolutely make it clear, like they have a conversation in a kitchen. It's like no, I, it's it's like because you know, at some point, an entire stadium full of people get eaten, and it's like okay, well, this is we tried, we got to go get away, and it's it's OJ says, no, we we don't have the we, we don't have the shot yet. It's like we're we're and that's that is very much. It's not, again, a, a film doesn't have to be criticizing or praising people. It can simply be saying these people exist in a system. They need money. Their economic future is it's either they have to slowly sell off this land that has been their birthright for however many years um, or totally retrain themselves for something else. Like they just don't have a lot of hope right now. Mm -hmm. um, and they're in, as you said, they're, they're still grieving all of that. Everything that they thought their future was going to be is not going to be. They've just gotten fired from a project and it's clear that that's what the future looks like. They are, they are people existing in a system and what they do is totally understandable. You don't have to praise them for it or you don't have to necessarily agree or say, well, that's what I would have done in that situation. But the film, like all good films, does a good job of making it clear why they made the decision they made, just as Breaking Bad makes it clear why Walter White did what he did. It, it does not say you too should sell meth if you get a large medical bill. It says this guy in this situation with his attitude about how his life turned out and feels like he's not gotten the credit he deserves, feels like he's missed out on all of the, the opportunities he should have had, and then suddenly mm. gets this kick in the balls that he's got lung cancer and only two years left to live. Yeah, you can see how this guy would just break bad. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and again, you don't have to agree with it. So same thing here. Like what they do in terms of, 
I can definitely see once those people have been eaten and all that, it's like it becomes like a sunk cost. It's like, well, we we can't turn back now. Like, no, we're getting the shot. Like we've come this far. um, We're getting our Oprah shot. And that's that's that. If you want to leave, you can leave. But I'm getting the shot like one way or the other. And, And when they made that choice, like I didn't find it. It baffling. They had established like there's a reason they're they've decided to do it, and this is where anything that's like a commentary about society, it doesn't have to be rich people good, poor people bad, whatever, and it doesn't have right. to be even if it's a case where you have you know a black filmmaker with a black cast, it doesn't have to specifically be racism bad. Like he gives himself the ability to go beyond that, and there, there's more nuance than that. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Swimmering. You. You. It's. You've been quiet for a bit. What's going on? Oh, I. I like all those. I'm trying to now keep the podcast from encroaching on two hours. Is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, the Swimmering has come good. to rest. I'm the Swimmering is ready to. <laughs> no, no, it's no, all no, good. No, it's all interesting conversations, and I think that. I think a lot of people actually did walk away from this movie going, um, I'm not sure exactly what happened at the end. I'm not exactly sure what I was supposed to take from it. So hopefully these conversations were at least gave you some questions to think about. Yeah. Um, as far as just a movie watching experience, I just, the only part that felt in the moment tacked onto me was I thought angel was a little conveniently rushed into the picture. Right. But that's about it. I really enjoyed it. More the yeah. second yeah. time. Yeah, and a movie that you can sit down and talk about for, because uh, we could talk about this for much, much longer if we <laughs> yeah, if right. we thought the audience would, would be patient with, with it. Watch is, me. Is, uh, is a treasure. Uh, like a, any film that you can sit down and take apart like this is, that is a filmmaker that has put a lot of thought into it. He was not cranking out product. It was not just a star vehicle to make some to make uh, Chris Pratt look good in a role. It was, no. it was something <laughs> yeah. that had a lot of thought, a lot of care, a lot of imagination. Uh, it's uh, I look forward to his next movie. I'm glad he made it. Um, yeah. My criticisms are all just minor. The fact that also, I have these criticisms yeah. instead of the criticisms I would have, uh, you know, uh, about something that was just a piece of garbage says everything. This is This is in many ways a movie way smarter than me. I'm happy to say that. Three for three on incredible titles too. Get out, us, nope. So punchy. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Also, I just researched his name his first name was Antlers. Mm-hmm. His name What's his last Antlers name? Holst. 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 Antlers Holst. What a great character anyway. name. Holst who great name. composed the planets. Jupiter's a planet. It's gotta be intentional. Nah, let's got, get out of here. We got it. We broke we we did the movie. <laughs> Uh, Jason, it's been so long. People have probably forgotten who you are and what you're all about. Care to let them know where they can find your new book? The new book should be available wherever books are sold, including an audio ebook title is if this book exists, you're in the wrong universe. All of my novels have stupid titles. Uh, if you want to hear more from me several times a day, my name is Jason Pargin, P-A-R-G-I-N type that name into any social media whatever platform except yeah. for Snapchat, I guess. I'm not on there. And whatever new ones they've invented in the last mm-hmm. couple months. Like, I think there's one called Tele- Clubhouse or Tele- Telegram Telescope. Maybe. I don't know. 
But I have, mm-hmm. I have a TikTok, I have a Twitter, I have an Instagram, Facebook, a Goodreads account, a Substack. Substack, yeah. And mm-hmm. several others that I, I just don't remember at the end of a show. I have too many. It's, it's the most book. of my life is maintaining those. Buy his book. Well, we Buy have two book. things. Twitter, I'm at Swaim underscore Corp. Abe's at Abe the Mighty, one word. Uh-huh. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash smallbeans, where you can uh, join the community, join us for Monday movie nights, and check out some of our exclusive behind the paywall podcasts like Spiel Boys and Star Trek The Next Futurama. So check that out if you haven't already. Thanks again, Jason. Thanks for taking the yeah, time, man. It was a lot of great conversation, man. Really Always stimulating. To have Good you. material. Good pick. Yep. Until next time. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!